Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 15 Beverly let the door close behind her. She knew Gary had wanted her to take one of the trucks, but how would she explain that when the authorities came looking? Gary was a good guy, and she genuinely liked him as a person, and so overlooked his eccentricities that others used as a source of personal amusement and ridicule. Sure, some shitted at the fan, but the end of the world... Gary had been playing too many of his games, and it had allowed him to work his post-apocalyptic dreamscape into a fervor. Beverly opened her purse and dropped the truck keys in, then retrieved her own. Instead of taking a right out of the control room, which would have led her to the exit and the trucks, she hung a left and headed towards the front of the building and the parking lot. She pulled the exit door open and stepped out into the night. It was clear and mostly quiet, save for the sounds of sirens from emergency vehicles off in the distance. She walked across the gravel yard and headed to the parking lot at a brisk pace with her head down. The night had been crazy enough, and even though she didn't think it was as bad as Gary made out, she didn't need to freak herself out anymore by seeing things in the shadows. She would get to her car and lock the doors, and not stop until she pulled into her garage. As she approached the curb that formed the boundary between the plant and the parking lot, she fumbled with her keys. Finding them, she looked up and froze. Her car keys dropped to the ground, and her jaw threatened to follow. In front of her, in a loose grouping that spread the whole width of the parking lot, a large horde of undead shuffled by. She kept perfectly still. They passed, not seeming to notice her. She held her breath and stifled a scream that wanted to blow from her chest. Realizing that she had dropped her car keys, she cast her eyes down without moving her head, but could not see them. Slowly, she bent her knees and lowered herself to the ground, keeping her eyes straight ahead on the zombies that looked like they were running the slowest marathon in history. Her breath came out in short gasps as her hand shot around on the ground, trying to find her keys. When she did notice her purse slipping off her arm, it was too late. It hit the asphalt with a thud. The open purse fell over, the momentum spilling out her cell phone, which shot across the pavement out into the parking lot. The noise caught the attention of several shufflers, many of which bore the wounds of their initiation. Damaged bodies with torn flesh hanging off faces and torsos stopped and turned as one towards the sound. Beverly froze for the second time, and a smothering blanket of tension fell upon the space between them. The crowd of the undead and Beverly stared each other down across the parking lot. A gunslinger's duel, the calm before the storm, as the universe waited to see who would blink first. 
what seemed like an eternity transpired. Then, as if on cue and acting as one, the horde broke into a run after her. She grabbed her purse and bolted back towards the plant. Throwing herself against the door, it was precious seconds before she realized the door was not budging. She screamed and pulled on the door that had locked behind her. She whirled around and witnessed the horrific wave of bodies coming at her. She shoved away from the door and sprinted down the length of the wall that formed the perimeter of the building and headed for the fenced-in yard. The dead did not break stride, shifting direction, threatening to outflank her. As Beverly ran around the corner of the building, the wall gave way to chain-link fence. She thought about the gate entrance and whether she could make it that far before they caught her. And what if she did make it? How would she get in? There was nobody there to open it for her. Screw it, she said, hurling her purse over the top of the fence. She began to climb. Her fingers curled over the top just as the impact of a hundred bodies shook the fence. Her foot slipped and she dropped down precious inches. The chain link cut into her hands, but the probing hands below hardened her resolve and she ignored the pain. She hauled herself up and found her footing. At the top, she swung her legs over and started down the other side. The dead began to shake and rattle the fence in a frenzied tantrum. She tried to hold on, but the swaying of the fence loosened her grip. She fell hard on her back, her head thumping solidly on the gravel. Laying on the ground with the breath knocked out of her and her head ringing, she stared blankly up at the stars in the sky. A new sound pushed its way into her awareness, the scratching of something moving across the gravel. She raised her head and saw the ruined faces of three zombies. She bolted up as more began to approach. Beyond the fence, the high-pitched sound of the chain-link being assaulted mixed with the groans and growls of the things on the other side and spurred her to action. She grabbed her purse and raced towards the trucks, her eyes scanning the yard for number three. Her eyes found the truck at the same moment her hand seized upon the keys. She cast her purse away and careened towards the massive vehicle. Grabbing the handle, she pulled, and the door flew open, sending her crashing to the gravel for the second time. Not wasting another moment, she leapt up, climbed into the cab of the repair truck, and slammed the door. Chapter 16 In front of her, the gate was closed. She stopped the truck and was about to hit the remote to open the gate, when she noticed movement in the side mirror. The dead that had pursued her to the fence won their battle. She watched in horror as the fence gave way, sagging to the ground under their weight. Like a breached dam, the undead poured into the yard and came straight for her. I'm sorry, Gary, she said, as she mashed the gas and plowed through the gate. As she left the plant, she noticed a wet mess on the ground in front of her. She hit the brakes and the truck skidded to a stop. Her breath came hard and fast as she stared at the red gelatinous pile in her headlights. The only thing recognizable was a work shirt and a name stitched on it. Slumping on the steering wheel, her body shook. She sat up as the first of the dead hit the back of her truck. In the side mirror, she could see a steady stream of them coming her way. The collisions of more and more of the dead sounded on all sides as they began to pile up around the big vehicle. 
She looked ahead of her at the clear road leading into the night, then at the glistening pile that was Reggie, and finally at the plant in the mirror behind her. Mac and Reggie aren't coming, Gary, she said. Dropping the truck in reverse, she plowed through the horde around her. Bodies fell and were ground beneath her wheels. Others were smashed to pieces and thrown across the yard as she raced back towards the plant. Gary stood on the roof. He turned in a slow arc and looked at each of the three buildings in the distance. Tall gantries with high voltage wire led away from each of the buildings, disappearing into the night. He had to get to each of them to do what must be done. He let his eyes drop to the ground below. The building sat on twenty-two and a half acres of fenced-in land around the plant. Fenced in except for the breach. Hundreds of meandering bodies now dotted the landscape. Gary looked to the trucks. He had thought if he could make it to one of them, he could get to the buildings and flip the switches. Staring out at the sea of predators, he doubted he would make it ten feet out of the door. He turned and headed down the stairs to the control room when he heard a noise in the distance. Racing back up to the roof, his mouth fell open. Truck number three was mowing down bodies and heading to the plant. By the time he got down the last flight of stairs and had pushed into the control room, he could hear Beverly calling his name. The two burst into the control room from opposite ends at the same time. Beverly, what are you doing here? Why haven't you... Beverly cut him off. They're not coming back, Gary. Mac and Reggie are gone, she said. Gary's face fell. I know, Bev, he said. The words caught her off guard, and she scrunched up her face. Oh, Gary, why? Why are you staying here? She said, more pleading than questioning. Gary approached and spoke with a calmness that belied the terror happening outside the walls. I told you, Bev, I have to do something that will help survivors. After. The words hung in the air a moment, and then Beverly gathered herself. Okay, well how can I help you so that we can get the hell out of here? Beverly said. Gary smiled. I have to tie the three major U.S. power grids together with superconductive, high-voltage, direct-current power transmission lines. But then, because the AC power will be out of phase, I have to synchronize the alternating current so that it can be transferred across all three grids, which currently cannot be done. Beverly stared at Gary as if he had three heads, and each one was speaking a foreign language at the same time. Only one word sprang from her mouth. What? Chapter 17 Geary went over and ripped a large aerial photograph of the plant off the wall. He spread it out on his workstation and pointed at a building towards the bottom of the photo. This building here is us, he said. At each of the three points of a triangle beyond the plant was a building with power lines attached. Gary put his finger on each one as he spoke. This building here is the terminus of the western interconnection. This one is the terminus of the eastern interconnection. And this one down here, because they think they are better than everybody else and have to have their own grid, is the terminus for the Texas interconnection. 
Gary looked up at Beverly, waiting for her to realize what she was looking at. She didn't. This is the power grid of the United States. Our plant was built here because it puts us at the closest point to all three grids. If you wanted to tie them all together, here is where you would do it, see? Gary said. Okay, so? Beverly said. Gary looked at Beverly and knew he had to frame his next words carefully. America gets about 80% of its power from coal-firing plants. With no one to basically shovel coal into those plants, they will shut down, fail within two to three days. The rest of our power, the other 20%, is made up of other sources, nuclear, hydro, wind, solar. Some people say that the nuclear plants could run for about two years before they begin to fail. Hydro, wind, and solar could run until parts wore out, so who knows how long. The point is, Bev, the grid is going to go down, and the only survivors with any power will be the ones near plants serviced by non-coal plants. Our plant, Tres Hombres, was upgraded to be a repository of the energy that we generate from the 20%. It circulates in an underground triangle of uh, five gigawatt superconductive cables, and the three grids will draw from it as needed. Gary said. Beverly's eyes began to gloss over, and he could tell he was losing her. I want to prop up the grid for longer than a couple of days. Give the ones that remain every chance, he said. Beverly shook her head. Gary, what are you talking about? When this thing blows over, even if the grid has gone down or they have stopped shoveling coal into plants, they'll fix it. I mean, there might be blackouts for a while, but... Her words trailed off as she saw the leaden look on Gary's face. There won't be enough people left to do any of that, Bev. Eighty percent of our power is from coal, but ninety-nine percent of the people will be... gone. The ones that are left will be just trying to survive, which is going to be a lot harder to do without power. I need to take what little power will remain, the power circulating here at Trace Hombres, and drip it into the whole grid. Give what's left of humanity a little extra time, he said. Beverly stared at him, her face showing that she still did not fully grasp the implications. Yeah, but Gary, without the coal plants, the other 20% won't be enough to power the whole country. I mean, her face blanched as what Gary was saying seemed to finally dawn on her. The demand for power will be next to nothing, Bev, the whole country won't be sapping the grid. Only about the 1% will. Just the survivors, he said. <laughs>